Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. The best way to support the show is to subscribe and share. If you haven't left a review or ratings on iTunes, please do. It helps more people find our show. And if you want to be on it, please shoot me a note at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know, those deep, dark secrets that we probably want to go to our grave with, or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing. Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, I have a very special guest. I have Dr. G on. Dr. G, I do have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? Okay, so my secret is that I had to admit to myself that I just wanted to spend the rest of my life having fun. Oh, okay. Wait, elaborate. Elaborate. Okay, now it sounds kind of esoteric and strange, but to give you a little backstory, I grew up in a pretty uh, Orthodox Jewish family. I struggled with a childhood disease. I had osteomyelitis. Wait, what's that? So it's a bone disease. And uh, from about the ages of six to 16, it put me in the hospital many, many times. I was in isolation. I had about 10 surgeries. I was in a wheelchair. And what I recognized is that, you know, I really couldn't do anything about my disease. And I'm going to relate that later to addiction. But what I could do is I could decide how I was going to deal with it. In other words, I remember making a choice and I made a little prayer to God and said, you know, God, if you get me through this, I promise, you know, I'm going to do my best to help other people. And I remember thinking that I've suffered so much, like Mm -hmm. people in addiction, I really have to find a way to have fun and enjoy myself and get interested and get passionate in my life. And for a lot of people, that's a big struggle. So I had to learn how to do it for myself first, and then I can help patients and other people in recovery with it. So I love that. And because the the moment you just said that to me, I remember as addicts, we have a hard time having fun in recovery. I remember when I first walked into the rooms and my addiction was attached to flirting and intrigue and getting attention from guys. And when my sponsor told me I couldn't do those things anymore, the world looked so dark and boring. And I used to say, oh, my life is so boring. So you're like totally flashing me back. (laughs) You know what? I hear that so much from people and I had that experience too. And it's terrifying. And then they go into recovery and they think it's all going to be work. And a lot of times people were using or using sex addiction, using drugs, alcohol, whatever it was as a way to have pleasure. So 
there's a strong correlation between if you take that away from me, just like you, Brianna, if you take the flirting away from me, I really feel like I have nothing left. But the truth is, when you take that away, you have every possibility because when you're in an addictive pattern, you're just repeating yourself, your behavior over and over again. And there is a, a period, and I'm sure you experience this too, where you're kind of floating around. You're not, you don't know who you were. Yeah. You, know, you know who you were, I take that back, but you don't know who you're gonna become. And you have to allow for the space for it to evolve. And that's the point of fun that I talk about, that sense of passion. Like, what can I do with the rest of my life that will make me feel passionate, that will make me feel excited about being in recovery, that recovery won't be uh, you know, a, a death sentence. And look at what you're doing. You're creating this podcast. You have, I know you as a friend, you have so many projects going on. You would not have been able to do this if you were lost in your addiction. Oh, there's no way. I remember how much energy, even that, just flirting our intrigue with a guy at a coffee shop that I was not even interested in, how much energy it took just for that interaction was ridiculous. But I remember when it was taken away, I went through, and I feel like a lot of people talk about this, it was a death, like a death of our old self. And you're right. And I remember you have to stand on the cliff of recovery and like jump off into the unknown and you had no idea what was going to come out. But yeah. And, and also like letting go of all those secrets that I kept holding on to was a death also. Because the secrets build on to each other. You know, you, you have to keep a secret about this and then you got to keep a secret and then where were you and what's going on and who were you with? And eventually you can't remember your own secrets and then the secrets cause shame and that causes you to get lost in the addictive cycle again. So just being able to take a deep breath and go, I'm going to let go of all of that. I don't know where I'm going to be. I'm going to stand on the cliff, but I don't have to be alone. And that is one of the most important things I would say to anyone is the idea of doing this alone or being in recovery alone is crazy because, you know, isolation is part of being an addiction. Mm -hmm. getting the support you need getting the love you need getting you know people out there inspiring you telling you how they've been through their struggles what they've created in their lives you know it's such an inspiring place and i'm not taking away from the fact Brianna, that it is hard oh pure torture torture so, yeah so going back to my sense about fun yes it's torture but maybe hard work and pain is part of the pleasure, you know, that you're going to go out and eventually you're going to be doing things that you never thought you're going to be doing and, uh, you know, creating and having all kinds of interesting thoughts, especially I want to address during the time right now of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of people out there not having a lot of fun and it's a very scary world and it's unpredictable. We don't know from day to day what is going to happen, but if you have that strong baseline that I'm going to take this time and uh, accept the fact that it's difficult, but I'm going to use it as a creative space to go more internal since I can't do a lot externally and see how I can find pieces of myself that I can go out and create something interesting and inspiring and maybe open up avenues in my 
career, in my personal life, in my professional life, whatever it is that I didn't know were a possibility. Look at you. You know, I know oh, yeah. you're doing this podcast. It's amazing. And I never wanted to do a podcast. I was right. like, no, thank you. I'm not interested. But I woke up in the middle of this pandemic one day and this light bulb went off and it says secret lives. Like I tell everybody my secrets and they tell me theirs. And I have to tell you this experience the last month of everybody I talked to from all walks of life, strangers and people I know, the connection has been unbelievable and i'm so grateful that this pandemic has you know brought more people together yes it's been difficult but it's also making us look at ourselves and i do have a question for you and i want to go back because you said something that was so telling with addicts right especially mm -hmm. are people do first of all my first question is do you believe that everybody has an ism Ism, you mean by like... Like uh, they're addicted to something. There's an ism. They have, like every human ha it has an ism. I think so. I mean, I think it's a complicated question. I think it depends on degree. It's something I ponder a lot. Like what's the difference between a passion and an ism? Mm, yes. And I feel like an ism like keeps us in the same place without us realizing we're in the same place. You know, you talk to, I work a lot with artists and you talk to them, they go, oh my God, I created the most amazing piece of work when I was high. And then when they are sober, they realize, you know, it wasn't that good. I thought it was. <laughs> I thought it was amazing. And they look at it, they're like, oh, never mind. Eh, never mind. So that, so I think an ism, everyone has it to an extent. It's to the degree that we uh, sort of, uh, it's, it's to how powerful it is in our life and how much it's controlling our lives. And gotcha. so it's a degree of, of um, like fortitude that it has, if that makes sense. I think a passion is, is also can be very driven like an addiction, but it doesn't, it, it has kind of an endless possibility attached to it. And so when you get to a certain place, you can take a deep breath and go, I wonder what the next thought is. What's, what, what's the next thought of action? In an addiction, you, the next thought of action is what it was last week. Right, right, action, right. The next thought of action is, oh, there's a whole new experience going on, you know? And uh, then my so other, go ahead, yeah. Thing, you know, I always thought, and this is what I mean about fun, I always thought that I was going to have an academic career. That's what I thought when I became a psychologist. I was going to do therapy, but do research and academia. And mm -hmm. I went to it and realized I was kind of, now when I say realized after years of therapy <laughs> and soul searching, I was actually bored with the whole process. Wait, and you, you were in therapy as you were being someone else's therapist, right? Absolutely. Because okay. I, I just want to make that clear because my therapist yes. has a therapist and I believe every therapist has a therapist. Well, I, I take it from this point of view. I can only take people as far as I've gone myself. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I guess that makes sense logically. <laughs> so you get the training, you get the license, but it's like if you become, I don't know, a, a writer, a journalist, you use, you learn the technique, but if you haven't gone out there in the world, and experience certain things, you really can't write about it. That's why you can't really, you can teach writing technique, but
but it's hard to teach people how to have certain insights. It has to be based on their life experience. So, right. you know, when I, going to that, when I made that discovery, oh, about having, this is how I came to sort of a simple conclusion was, I realized I thought that's what I was supposed to be. Right. And when I realized I actually didn't like it, I mean, it was okay, but I was kind of bored. And um, I had had a background in the entertainment industry before, and I was struggling, you know, am I a psychologist? Am I a creative person? And my therapist at the time said to me, I don't understand why you have to keep them separate. Why do you have to do that to yourself? You're trying to get yourself to fit into a box, which is a lot of times, I think working with addicts, they try to do like, you know, I'm this person and that person versus why not just be a creative person where anything can happen? Mm-hmm. When I gave myself permission to do that, it was scary. But, you know, the radio show came out of it. We have a TV show coming up, a podcast. And I thought, wow, my life is in such a different place than I thought it was going to be. And that's what I mean about having fun and giving freedom. Yeah, I love that. And I love that your secret is so like giving yourself permission to have fun. I feel like a lot of people going through hard times don't understand that on the other side of those hard times, it actually is fun. I have to say, you know, 11 years of recovery, my life is more fun now than it ever was in my addiction. And, but I do want to go back to, you said something as addicts, we all think we're so unique and that our secrets are so unique and doing this experience for me, which I wanted to ask you about, everybody's experiences though they do different things is the same thing it all boils down to like self-worth you know not being their authentic selves and that they have this unique problem do you find that it's really hard to talk an addict out of their unique and special um i think it's a process Mm -hmm. and i agree with you completely you know i i've learned that years of sitting and listening to people talk that First of all, my issues weren't that special. <laughs> well, here, here's why I'm asking you, because I had this thing this morning. Um, Wait, I have to tell you this, and you're going to crack up. But I had this thing this morning. When my Huffington Post article came out, yeah. I was so nervous, right? And that morning, I felt like the world was going to stop, and like everybody was going to call me, and like my secret was out and nothing happened it was well, like everybody has their own lives in i know i was like you are not special or unique or important other than like the people that love me but i just it was this wake-up call like uh-huh. but you know what maybe eventually when you have that wake-up call uh and we all do hopefully then it's very freeing at some oh yeah point. you know what i really love i bet you love the process i bet you love writing the article, getting into the zone mm-hmm. and, you know, being able to acknowledge to yourself, you know, I really accomplished something. The rest, as we say, we're powerless over it. It's out of our control. No one knows what's going to happen. The truth is no one knows what's going to happen. But if you can feed your soul that way, you'll just keep doing it and having a better and better time of I know it just came out with this, like, I thought I was unique and special. And then I get, it gets all these hits and people are like, I have this problem too. And I remember when I came into the program that I have these secrets in this addiction and no one understands. 
that no one <laughs> possibly understand what I'm going through. And then that's what's so valuable about one of the values of the program is to be able to sit there and go, oh my God, there's a room full of people that have the same secret. And I guess I'm not so unique. Yes. Um, especially here in Hollywood, you know, where I've seen actors, celebrities in my office. It's such a paradox because they go in thinking they're so special and the studio system sort of encourages that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a lot of times when, you know, they don't get the parts or they're getting older and they realize they're not so special, a lot of times the addiction can really take over as a way of dealing with some difficult feelings. If you can get to a place and you're lucky enough and you can deal with those feelings and recognize maybe you're not as special as you thought you were, but you do have a lot to offer and you can keep creating for the sake of creating. Yeah. Making yourself feel good. And listen, when I'm saying like, we all are special, you know, right. humans on this earth, I'm meaning special in the sense that you're no better or no worse than anybody else. Exactly. That's, I want to just make that clear. Like, I feel like, yes, I love myself and I have self-worth and I know I'm worthy, but I'm no better than the next person. And that's yeah, what I, I meant I, by the that. The image that went to mind is like a cowboy you know, reigning in a steer and taking his lasso and going like, and the steer is your narcissism. Oh, yeah. I'm reining it in. <laughs> Pull back on that narcissism a little bit. <laughs> well, that was one of my things I realized, and I love that you just said as an actress, I mean, every industry is hard, but definitely as an actress, you're sure. put on this pedestal. And then the older you get or, or the more success, it doesn't fill you. And you're like trying to fill this hole with this stuff that's so fleeting. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I have seen, I keep saying this over the years, but I've been a psychologist for like over 20 years. And one of the things that fascinates me is I see more people come into my office when they become successful as actors and actresses uh, than on their road to success. Because there is this, inherent belief that if I get that stardom, if I get that big part, all my problems are going to be taken care of. It's going to like this magical. Uh, yeah. Belief. Or that house or that money or that marriage or any of that. You can attach to anything. You know, if you're not in the business that you believe, like if you get this husband or these kids or this house or what, that it's going to fill you. And it never does. It never does. Well, what it does is it brings up a whole new set of issues. Yeah, usually, yes. <laughs> so as long as you're alive, you're probably going to have issues. But the more you learn how to process through them, I think the more successful you'll be. That's what I'm noticing right now with patients I've been dealing with during COVID-19. And especially, I want to say hats off to a lot of people in the program and a lot of addicts, because through their process, they've learned to become internal insightful, whether it's in therapy or in the program or whatever they've chosen to do. So COVID is just another thing that's been thrown at them that they have to process through and figure out how they're going to deal with and then come out hopefully more successful on the other side, where there's a lot of people in our population that have not done any kind of internal work and do not know how to deal with this kind of trauma, this global trauma that we're all facing. And there's, you can see it. There's a lot of crazy behavior, acting yeah. out behavior. There's an increase in suicide, increase in addiction right now. 
And then so, also the selfishness is coming, the more selfishness is coming to light, I feel. Because I do have to say, I am so grateful to be sober in this environment because what it has taught me even more is just turn it over and that I have no control over anything. Any little control I thought I had, I do not have. Any control over anything. And that has been such a a grounding, beautiful experience and difficult, you know? The really hard part, you know, even when you say that, I can feel myself like fighting it. Going like, <laughs> You're like, I have control. I have control over this and that. And I go, well, I have control that I, I'm on this interview right now, but I don't have any control where it goes, what happens, how people respond, but that I can control. So, you know, I've been being very mindful during this time too. I wake up in the morning and go, I have control over this period. I may go work out whatever it is. I don't have control over the big picture. And I agree yeah. with you. It's very freeing and such an important lesson for people uh, to work on in recovery. Because they think that when you say powerless, it's a weird paradox that you won't have power. The truth is when you admit you're powerless, you actually get a lot of power. Yeah. I hated the word powerless. I hated the hated it. I hated the word powerless and I hated the word humble or humility. Yeah. I was like, that's like chump. Like you you <laughs> like do you know what I mean? Like you were like a loser, like you didn't have it together. But those now are my favorite words because it's brought me so much freedom, freedom from self, freedom from keeping all these secrets. Cause like we said, Secrets make us sick. If you're an addict or if you're not an addict, I feel. Yeah, I mean, the, the, at the base of secrets is shame. Yeah. And shame is, is such a big cause for addiction, big cause for depression, other uh, psychological issues. And it's a difficult thing to do. It's a process. That's what I tell patients all the time too. And I tell myself, this is a process. And if you start dealing with your life as a process, you recognize you can let go of things and they'll happen and unfold at the pace that you want them to, that they need to unfold at. But holding on to that and, and whatever secret you're in the closet about is just going to destroy you. It does. I, I Just doing this podcast and letting go of my own secrets, it I see how it destroys people if you don't let yeah, go. Absolutely. So I also read this on... Um, the science and psychology journal that a person at one time can hold up to 13 secrets. It sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> that does. <laughs> Do you believe in your experience that that's true? Well, uh, I don't know exactly what the research said that I don't, I can't, you know, that it's 13 versus 12 and 11. But what I'm understanding is people can hold on to a great amount of secrets. And I believe that's definitely possible. And that's why, you know, recovery or the therapeutic process, a lot of times is a process of letting go of secrets. And usually people will let go of the easiest ones first. And then as they get deeper into themselves and recognize that, oh, I let go of that secret. And you know what? It didn't destroy me. It didn't mm. kill me. It wasn't the... Um, I didn't get the back, I didn't get people criticizing me the way I thought they were. And I'm gonna put a caveat to that. As you let go of secrets, you may lose some people in your lives. You know, you may lose a job, you may lose some friends. 
but maybe that's a good thing in the big picture of your life because if you can't be yourself, you can't be creative, you can't go out and you know create new relationships and those people don't allow you to do that, it's better to face, sort of face the storm and say, I'm just gonna let go of it and whatever happens. And if I have to find a new relationship uh, or a new job, I'm gonna go out and do it. And I'll probably find a better one because I'll be in a better place knowing what I'm looking for. So secrets is, letting go of secrets is definitely a process. Yeah, and I have to tell you with my process, I, so many friendships went away. Mm-hmm. So even my father and I, we spent a year not talking to each other. Uh, we had to reestablish our boundaries with each other and respect each other. But honestly, everybody that left my life, it was a blessing because I realized I had a lot of people in my life that didn't actually show up and were unavailable in the way that I needed a friend or a partner or a parent. So that's my experience. I completely agree with you, but I have another question for you. And I think this is really important and I'm interested to get your take on it. Do you, do you think it's worse hiding a secret from yourself or others? Uh, I think it's worse hiding it from yourself. Why? Because, well, it's, again, it's a very interesting question. So thank you. You're welcome. I think it's a simultaneous process because if you're hiding from yourself, you're hiding from others. If you're hiding from yourself, uh, you may, okay, here's, if you're hiding from yourself, let's say you have a big secret that you're hiding. Mm Mm-hmm. If you can't admit it to yourself, you may suffer issues like depression, severe depression. That may lead to an addiction. That may lead to self-destructive behavior, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And you can see where that could go. Mm-hmm. So admitting the secret to yourself, working through it internally, and getting to a place where you feel better about yourself and maybe have some depression lifted or anxiety lifted is putting you in so much more of a powerful place. If you're depending, if you're very concerned about the approval or disapproval of others, you're always going to live your life in a reactive space. You're going to be a chameleon. You're going to turn around and be the person you think, oh, I'm going to be who Bree needs me to be on this interview because she's interviewing a psychologist and psychologists talk like this and are very- And wear glasses and and they have a blazer on. A pipe. (laughs) <laughs> right. And have, well, a beard. So then I'm second guess. I'm never true to myself, but I'm always experiencing a certain level of uh, depression, like clinically a dysthymia, which is sort of like a melancholy, sort of a low level of depression. So I think it's ultimately more destructive to keep a secret from yourself. Okay. And then my last question for you, if you, anybody's listening and they're going through a hard time and they're holding on to these things, what would be your advice to them to try to move forward and grow and let go? Sure. I would say probably the, first of all, feel good about yourself. If you're ready to admit that you have a secret and that you need help, that's so much of the battle. I think one of the most important things to do is get the support that you need and set up a system that will allow you to process through it. So I'm of course biased towards therapy. I think it works. Uh, I think the program works. Getting as much support and, and, and structure as you can in your life 
to help you through the process. Find a good sponsor, find people who love you. You know, you talked about letting go or, or having a year you didn't talk to your dad. Yeah. And I'm guessing that during that period though, you got support from other people. From oh, other yes, I did. My so sponsor, my husband, all uh, those people, yeah. That allowed you, Brianne, to have the courage to be able to let go. So that's what I would tell anyone who's struggling. Admit you have a problem, get the help you need, trust certain people, even if you don't understand what they're saying in your addictive mind, like you're in your disease and going, I don't know what the hell she's saying, but at some point she's been really successful. I have to make a decision. Either I'm going to trust some people or I'm not. I don't mean blanketly trust, but for a lot of addicts, that's such a struggle too, not trusting mm -hmm. and trusting in their own decision-making, but also realize their decision-making got them into trouble in the first place. Yeah. The addict mind got you yeah. where you are. It can't get you out. There's, it's impossible. I can't do surgery on my self. If I go to the doctors, I don't go, well, give me the scalpel and give me the, you know, I'm, I'm just imagining that in my head. You like laying there going, just tell me where to cut. Where it is. And once you're here, can you do a couple other things? It's, it's like ridiculous uh, analogies, but it's so true because in mental health, we're not dealing with sometimes it's things as concrete as physical health, even though I think physical health is greatly influenced by mental health. But it's I agree. more invasive. It's harder for people to sort of hold on to. So structure, uh, trusting people, allowing yourself. Also a big one is the time. I have had calls to be, oh, Dr. T, uh, my insurance allows me eight sessions, but I've been in crystal math for 10 years. How long do you think it'll take me? And I literally say, I don't know about 10 years. No, no, no. I'm serious. I have eight sessions. I go, I'm serious too. No. And I remember when I started therapy and SAG doesn't always cover all of therapy, right? Like our right. insurance, even though it's great. I didn't have a lot of money. I wasn't working the first year of my, you know, when I was first getting sober and I was like, I can't go to therapy twice a week and go to two meetings a week. I can't do this. Like it's impossible. And you know what happened? The wow. money came. Mm -hmm. I made that commitment to myself. I said, I am worth these two sessions a week to like go have a massage for my soul. Like I've been in such pain my whole life that I can figure out a way to do this self-care. And that was the best thing. It was like the first step of me truly taking care of myself. Just like if you were an athlete, you know, and you decided I was gonna go into training. Well, I, you know, it's hard to really train once a week and think you're gonna make it to the Olympics. You're gonna have to really commit yourself. It's scary. I get it. That's why people are there to support you. But you've got to be willing to make a strong, strong commitment, especially the first couple of years, because you've got to recreate that foundation. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your secret of, you know, committing to have fun in your life with your job, which I love. Um, and I appreciate you so much. Thank you. I just want to make a final comment. Please. Sometimes people say fun sounds frivolous. And um, I am not taking away from the fact that there's a lot of pain. It's a struggle. It's really difficult. But if you feel that there might be something hopeful on the other side, 
that if you can get in the zone of being creative and have fun, you've got to get through all the other stuff first. And so that's hard work. But if there's a payoff, that makes it so much sort of easier, like there's a prize at the end. And the prize is to see the world in a very different way. And you can't tell people what that is until they go through it, because my way, my eyes are going to be different than your eyes, Bria. So yeah. I don't know what it's going to be, but what I could say to you is, but I'll be there. I'll be there to support you, care about you, love you, and, and help you create whatever you need to create, as long as I feel you're not destroying yourself in the process. Oh, well, so, thank you so much. My pleasure. And, and, and good luck with all this. It's an amazing thing you're doing. Oh, thank you. And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thank you again for listening to Secret Life Podcast. Please subscribe, share, send me a note, and you can always support the show with a donation on our site, secretlifepodcast.com. Until next time, bye.